Father in heaven, um, I pray that you would bless this time as we open your word. Help me to speak your word with clarity and accuracy that uh, what is preached today would not be the opinion of the preacher, that uh, we would not get caught up in, in sidetracks or um, non-essential matters, but that we would be utterly focused, that I would uh, be a focused conduit, that we would receive your word for us. Lord, that's all we need. We just need your word. So, um, in the name of your Son, by the power of your Spirit, we pray that you would receive glory today, that you would silence the enemy, that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, as I mentioned, prayer is integral to who we are, and, and uh, even the very idea of prayer we see in every culture, in every society, in every religion, we can't get away from it. Uh, yet often we really don't understand it. Is it? Is that mic really hot or is it just me? Am I, it feels, feels, feels super hot. So <clears throat> I feel as, as hot as Shelly. Anyhow, on a Sunday morning when it's at 68 in here and you know she's like, I'm so hot. So. Okay. Coming back to focus, I need to pray my way out of that. Uh, as I mentioned, we, we see prayer in every religion. We see it in every culture. It is uh, not something that is exclusive um, to what we teach. It's rather endemic to the human nature, to the human spirit. Uh, and yet, we often don't really understand prayer. Most of us here uh, have probably had times when we wrestle with, what does it mean to pray? How do I pray? Why aren't my prayers being answered? Am I doing things the right way? Uh, we have a lot of prayer confusion and misconception. We very often uh, get caught up in, in false teachings that we've received or bad habits that maybe weren't from false teachings, but we've allowed the emphases to, to get sideways for us. Um, we may look at prayer as sort of a you know treating God like a vending machine. I do certain things and God gives me certain things back. We get, get kind of a, a gimme mentality. Lord, give me this, give me that, give me the other thing. And, and we keep pressing through that way. Or, or maybe uh, you grew up in a situation where you, you prayed the Our Father as part of your penance and, and you, you know, repeated it a certain number of times. And we, we get caught up in, in Jesus' name. Uh, you know, I, we have some confusion about that. I've seen preachers, uh, sadly, who... Preach, if you don't say in Jesus' name, in your prayer, God doesn't hear it. Really? That, I, I don't see that here. And so, in fact, even we'll see today in, in the model prayer that, that Jesus gives, that's not part of this. And yet we've often treated this as a formula. We, we get caught up in, in this, this formulaic, ritualistic Check all the boxes, do the right things the right way at the right time. People talk about prayer languages that, that you know, I speak in, in this separate language from, from my normal uh, English language. That maybe it's a, a gift of a tongue that goes into it. Or we get caught up in prayer positions where, where we're going to get focused about praying on our knees or praying with our hands lifted. And if we don't do it the right way, then God doesn't hear us. Now, I'm not going to tell you that 
God doesn't speak through prayer language in a variety of ways. We're told that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that words can't express when we don't know how to pray. And it's not a bad thing to pray on your knees or to pray with your hands lifted up to heaven, but these are not commands or prescriptions that we see. It doesn't change whether God hears your prayers. Sometimes we get worried about saying the wrong thing or saying it the wrong way. What if I prayed for something that isn't good for me? I prayed for that person that I would marry and I married the wrong person. Or what if I marry the wrong person? Or I prayed about this job or I pray about whatever it is and we get concerned that if we don't ask the right way at the right time for the right thing, that God will give us just what we deserved because we messed up. That does not seem to be the picture that Jesus gives us here. You know, as we, uh, as we look through our own history of prayer, some of you grew up in a home where you would go to bed saying your prayers at night. Anybody do that? Raise your hand if that, if that was you. You grew up in a home where you were trained to say your prayers at night. Maybe you get on your knee by your bed and God bless Mama, God bless Daddy, God bless Aunt Susie, uh, you know, all those kinds of things. Or, or maybe you memorized little prayers as you were learning to pray as a child. Uh, you know, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for this food. Maybe you uh, grew up in a... In a church where you prayed a, a common table prayer of that nature and you learned to say certain things and sometimes you ended up finding out that maybe you didn't know how to pray without that or you thought you could only pray in that situation don't misunderstand me there's nothing wrong with a repeated prayer when that prayer is more than just a repetition uh, some of the most powerful Meaningful prayers that I have ever been around are from people reading a scripted prayer or a memorized prayer that was so deep in their soul and heart that I was moved to tears, even as they were. Maybe if we don't have tears, God doesn't listen. J. Vernon McGee, a, a, a wonderful preacher who has been with the Lord for many years now, uh, told a story about uh, being raised in a home without prayer. In his home, he never heard a prayer, he never read the Bible, never saw the Bible read, never heard it. But he went to a youth conference, a boys' conference, back in the olden days, and, and he stayed in a dormitory, and the dorm supervisor of these boys, when they would gather up at night and they'd get ready for lights out, they would all change their clothes and get into their pajamas and get ready for bed, and then he would gather them up so that they could pray before bed. And Dr. McGee said that for a while, until somebody clarified it for him, he thought he had to be in his pajamas to pray. Those are like your prayer clothes. If you don't have your pajamas on, then it doesn't really count. My son, Ethan, <laughs> we like to chuckle about it at, at, uh, around the table. He got very upset one time because he thought we were having a snack and, and, and it was really a meal. And so I, I, I didn't know. I got to know if it's a snack or a meal. I don't know whether I should pray or not. <laughs> it's never inappropriate to pray. In Luke chapter 11, 
the disciples of Jesus come to him, and one of his disciples says, teach us to pray, Lord, as John taught his disciples. Now, John was the greatest prophet who ever lived. Jesus said, among those born of women, no one has ever been greater than John. And yet John, who we often think of as the baptizer, maybe we think of him as a martyr, the man who was beheaded, the disciples thought of him as a man of prayer. That was how they thought of John. John taught his disciples to pray. Lord, teach us to pray like that. We want to be people of prayer. Why would they ask Jesus this? Because they knew that Jesus was a man of prayer. Here he is, the perfect son of God, utterly reliant on prayer. Prayed before he chose the twelve. Prayed before he would uh, preach. Prayed before he would perform miracles. Constantly in prayer. Constantly in communication with the Father. If the perfect Son of God relied on prayer, if the greatest prophet who ever lived relied on prayer, then how much more do we as imperfect creatures rely on prayer? We need to be in communication with God. Notice this. This is our core reality for today. Prayer rests on relationship, not ritual. Prayer rests on relationship, not ritual. Say that with me. Prayer rests on relationship, not ritual. As we go through this, we need to understand that proper prayer is not about a perfect pattern, but a powerful person. That's a lot of peace. In other words, the power of prayer is not in the prayer... And it's not in the prayer. It's in the person that the prayer prayed the prayer to. When we are talking about the power of prayer, it's important for us to recognize there is no power in prayer. The power lies in the Lord God. The power is in Him. Prayer is our means of accessing that power, of talking to Him, of communicating with Him. The point of prayer is the one to whom the prayer points. We need to understand that prayer hinges on a relationship to the Father. Let's turn to Luke chapter 11. This is going to be our text for today. As we're working through this letter that, write, that Luke writes to Theophilus, he writes with the intention of being able to establish a sure foundation for our faith. Theophilus, I'm writing you this so that you can know for sure what you've been taught. You can know the certainty of it. The same thing is true for us. As we read these things, Luke has investigated for himself. He wrestled with his faith. He wrestled with the gospel. He wrestled with the teaching and life of Christ. And he came to believe through evidence this is the Son of God. And the teaching of the apostles is accurate and true. So with that, we need to have our Bibles. We need to have them open. We need to be reading them. The will of God is that the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, would make the children of God more like the Son of God. That's what we're working on as we work through His Word. Let's begin reading with chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord... Teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, 
say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already closed, already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, I love that phrase, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The, door, uh, every, the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. The heart of Christ's instruction here is that prayer rests on relationship, not ritual. Prayer rests on relationship, not ritual. As we walk through this, uh, you may recognize this is not the same wording of this prayer that Shelley sang for us or that you may have recited at funerals or you may recognize as, as what's often called the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer. This is Luke's condensed version of it. It's a, a shortened version. It has all the same elements, slightly shorter wording. Matthew records in Matthew chapter 6, we'll see that chapter a little later on, what you're more familiar with, a longer form of this. But the elements are the same. The concepts are, are still here. And Jesus is explaining to his disciples some really important stuff. The instruction that he gives here is crucial. Notice this. Jesus gives this example prayer as an instruction, not an incantation. Jesus gives this example prayer as instruction, not incantation. He's not saying, pray these words. In this way, with a certain rhythm, broken up the way you're used to it, so that we can repeat it together, we can all say it aloud from memory, which we could probably do pretty well with most of us. Even if you didn't go to church growing up, you probably have heard it enough times, in enough settings, at enough funerals and other places, that the Lord's Prayer is familiar to you, and with a certain cadence, can perhaps even roll off your tongue. You may get tripped up a little bit on whether it's debtors or trespassers, you know, and all that. But the fact of the matter is we've heard it so often as a recitation that we have been tricked, not by the church or by people, but been tricked by our own fleshly tendency and the wiles of the devil to believe that this is a formula that we must follow. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, we don't see that type of thing 
in Scripture, even in the Old Testament, where ceremonial uh, sacrifices, ceremonial rituals are specifically commanded and we have specific instructions, what we don't see ever is a formulaic, ritualistic approach to God where if we do a certain thing, God must act a certain way. And if we don't do it that certain way, then God's just going to blow us off. That's the opposite of what we see. As we go through this, Hopefully this will be very clear to you. This instruction teaches us how to pray, not what to pray. This is not something that we are, are to try to, to mimic these words, but to pray in this way. Jesus gives us this example, and he gives these contrasting parables at the end. You notice we see the, the parable of the neighbor answering prayer, and then we see the comparison to God as a father. It's not... Not a, a comparison per se, it's a contrast to show the difference between the two, and we'll get to that a little later on. Prayer is less about checking the right boxes than about being in right relationship and fellowship with the one we pray to. I want to clarify those two terms. When I say the right relationship, that has to do with our identity, who we are. He is our Father, and if we are in Christ, we are His child. If we're not in Christ, this is really important for us to know, we are not his child. Fellowship, on the other hand, has to do with whether we're walking with daddy. If I am a child of God, if I have received Jesus Christ, I've repented of my sins, trusted in him as my salvation, then the Bible says I am saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. My identity has changed and I've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I'm a child of God. But in this, as a citizen of this new kingdom, as a child of the Father, how many of you know sometimes I do things that cause me to separate from Him? I don't lose that relationship any more than any of my children when they disobey me or they get irritated with me or they choose not to listen to what I tell them cease to be my children. And having raised four of them to adulthood, there's been at least once or twice that they may have chosen not to listen to me, except for Gabriel. Right. <laughs> he said it. I'm just following. The reality of it is, we may not be on the best terms in a particular moment. We may be in a time when I need to discipline them, when I need to not give them what I want to give them because I need to help them learn and grow. But they never, ever stop being my child. This is true for us with the Lord. Our prayer life has more to do with our relationship and our fellowship with the one we pray to than with the specific words and methods and formulas of our prayer. I was watching a movie recently in which a sudden disaster came upon the scene. Everything starts blowing up and people are dying. And in a very dramatic moment, the camera focused in on a character who was reciting the Lord's Prayer. We do that. You've seen it. Maybe you've done it. Things hit the fan and all of a sudden... We're going to recite this memorized thing kind of like rubbing a worry stone or a rabbit's foot. And, and because I'm saying this memorized thing that I, I, I'm not thinking about it, I, I, 
I'm not trying to communicate as much as I'm desperate. Help me. But I've missed out on the point of a relationship with him. This sort of thing completely misses the point of Christ's model prayer. It focuses on the saying of words and phrases over the instruction that Jesus gives us about the nature of prayer. As we go through this passage together, we'll see Jesus cover a number of different concepts, different elements of prayer that have much more to do with the inner person than with the outer expression. So let's jump into it. We'll work through it. And as we go through each of these things, we're going to see the element, the way Jesus says to pray, pray in this way, and then something we need to be aware of, something to check in ourselves as we're doing it. Let's begin with right out of the gate when he says, Father. Note this, pray with personal intimacy. Pray with personal intimacy. Check your relationship. Pray with personal intimacy. Check your relationship. God hears the prayers of his children. He begins by saying, pray to the Father. When you pray, say, Father, that, that term, both in the Greek and the Hebrew, and even in the English, can mean our biological father. It can mean our adopted father. It can mean the source of things. And so when we see God as Father, we're recognizing, first and foremost, that He is the source of all things. Everything flows from Him. But the reason that we connect with Him in prayer, and the reason that He hears our prayers, is because we are His children. That's a whole different level of father. It's really important for us to grasp this concept. If we're going to, to pray effectively, if you want God to hear your prayers, it doesn't make any more sense to pray to a God who is not your father than it is to walk down the street, see some stranger who's not your father, and ask him to buy you a car or pay for your college. That's not logical. And yet we try to do that with God. It's appropriate for me right now to just pause. Before we continue with prayer, to talk about relationship. Two contrasting verses that you need to recognize. John 1.12 says that as many as received him, after talking about how Jesus came to his own people and they rejected him, he says as many as received him, to those, to the ones who receive Him, who turn from their way to God's way, who receive Him as Savior, to them He gives the right to become the children of God. If you want God to hear your prayer, then you have to be His. Until then, there's really only one prayer God ever wants to hear from you. The rest is yap, yap, yap. Like the neighbor kid coming to beg you for stuff. Yap, yap, yap. But when my children speak, that matters. Luke chapter 18, we'll, we'll get to this later on in our series. Luke 18, 13 is the only prayer God wants to hear from you before you're his child. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you want to be saved, it's as simple as that. Lord, have mercy on me. I know I'm a sinner, and I want to change from that. And I know I can't change myself. I've tried, and I stink at it. I keep trying to fix my behavior, and look where I ended up. I thought I had something going on, but I recognize that you're holy and I'm not. God, have mercy on me. 
and the mercy and grace that God poured out through Jesus at the cross by putting all of his wrath, all of his right wrath, his deserved anger on Christ. I deserved it. He put it on Christ so that he could pour out his grace and mercy through him onto us to trade my debt, Christ on the cross, so that the criminal, the perpetrator, could become his child. If you want God to hear your prayer, it starts there. Lord, I'm yours. Save me. I trust that Jesus did all that can be done, and I want to belong to you. When you receive him, he makes you his child. You don't have to earn it. You couldn't earn it. You don't have to clean yourself up. You couldn't clean yourself up. But if you're asking that question, if you want Jesus in your life, then God has already made you able to receive him. The fact that you're even wrestling with it says that God is moving in you, moving in your heart to break the stone and turn it into flesh. Unregenerate people don't seek God. Unregenerate people don't want to clean up their sin issue. Oh, they want to fix their behavior so they don't lose their job or lose their marriage. They want to keep their reputation. But they're not concerned with pleasing God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And without coming to Him, seeing who He is, we can't be His child. And we're just strangers talking to Him. Pray with personal intimacy. Check your relationship. Notice how Jesus connects it, and we'll see this more in detail as we go to it, how he connects the way God answers prayer to the way a father gives good gifts to his children. We start with this idea of, Father, I'm your child, and I want to own my dependence on you. I want to sit in your lap and just be yours. Right after he says, Father, he goes into this next portion that might sound strange to our ears. Hallowed be your name. That phrase, hallowed be your name, speaks of worship and reverence, recognition of who God is. That's our second point. Pray with worshipful reverence. Check your attitude. When you pray, pray with worshipful reverence. Check your attitude. None of this, God is my homeboy. You know, he's the big guy in the sky. Hey, big dude, love it if you could help me out here. That's not how you approach the holy God. If we can come to him without worshipful reverence, we don't know him. We don't understand him. When we have seen the living God, nobody has to tell you to get on your knees. You're already there. Just like Isaiah, when he encountered a vision of God in all of his glory, he fell down and said, Woe to me, I'm ruined. I'm a sinner. And I've seen the holy living God. When we pray, pray with worshipful reverence. Check your attitude. We must approach God with a worshipful attitude. God hears the prayers of those who seek His glory. God answers prayer for His own glory. 
which is our ultimate good. Jesus said in John 4, 13, 14, 13, sorry, John 14, 13, Whatsoever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What you ask in my name, I will do that very thing, so that God may be glorified in the Son. God answers prayer for His glory. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, Why does God answer our prayer? Not just to meet the needs of His children, but to meet them in such a way that it brings glory to His name. He goes on to say, when God's people pray, God's reputation is at stake. Pray with a worshipful attitude. God hears the prayers of those who seek his glory. Pray with worshipful reverence. Check your attitude. Next, pray with yielded desires. Pray with yielded desires. Check your motives. Jesus says it this way, your kingdom come. In some manuscripts here in Luke, uh, probably borrowing from Matthew in later copies, we see the same thing we see in Matthew 6. As Shelley's saying, as you've recited a hundred times, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's exactly what your kingdom come is talking about. May your will, God, be absolutely the reigning rule here. God's already sovereign. Make no mistake about that. But we're praying for the realization of His kingdom. The realization of His sovereign rule. The time will come when there will be no question. There will be no crime. There will be no sadness or sickness. God will wipe out sin and all of the curse that goes with it. And rule perfectly. In the meantime, we look forward to that day and we pray for that very thing, that God's will would be done. And it starts with us. Your kingdom come, Lord, may your will be done in me. This is the attitude, the motives that we have to have. God hears the prayers of those who are submitted to his will. We have to have right reasons, get aligned with His agenda. Instead of praying, God bless what I'm doing, we need to start praying, help me to do what you're blessing. James 4.3 says, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. When Jesus speaks of praying in His name, it means on His behalf, aligned with His agenda, with the same kind of surrender he showed in the garden in Matthew 26 and Luke 22. He was praying for God to take away the suffering of the cross. But he resolved, not my will, but your will be done. That's exactly what we're praying here. Your kingdom come, Lord. Yes, I have desires. Yes, I want this suffering to go away. Yes, I want to make sure that my needs are met, but Father, whatever is going on, your will, not mine. You are sovereign. May your kingdom come. May you rule in my life. His will. Pray with yielded desires. Check your motives. Next, Jesus tells us to pray with grateful dependence. Check your trust. 
Pray with grateful dependence. Check your trust. This very concept is where we find contentment. If I'm not content, I may need some realignment in this area. In this area. Notice he says, give us each day our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. This prayer is seeking provision. It's owning dependence, but it's praying, notice, for our daily bread. It's not saying, Lord, bring me a bread truck so I can store this stuff up and have this, this backlog so I never have to be hungry again. I never have to worry about that. It's recognizing that I'm grateful for whatever crumb you give me. Just get me through the day, Lord. Give me enough. Not too much, not too little. Just give me enough so that I can trust you for the next day. As God answers our prayers, then we learn more and more to trust Him. And as He gives me bread for today, and I live in gratitude for that bread, I'm not as worried about tomorrow. If I'm worried about tomorrow, then I'm probably lacking gratitude for today. Lord, just give me today's bread. I don't know how I'm going to get all these things covered, but you do. I'm going to trust you. Lord, I can't afford to, to tithe. I, I don't know how I'm going to do that. Gratitude says, whatever you give me is going to be enough. So as an act of worship, the first thing that I do with my paycheck every time is going to be to worship you with it. Whatever else, I'm not, given, I'm not given to the church. Yes, giving to the church is good. And yes, that's where we take our tithes as we give our worship. But it's not about that. There are plenty of opportunities. Shelley mentioned earlier a lot of uh, opportunities that we can help provide funds for the building. But that isn't what we do with our tithe. Our tithing is to say, Lord, I recognize that you are my provider. And 90% with you is way better than 100% on my own. So I'm going to take the first portion of my check and just to tell myself, my own heart, and you that I will own my dependence on you and I will trust you for my daily bread, I'm going to give that to you first before I do anything else. And I'm going to live on the rest. It's the same idea with the Sabbath concept. Lord, I'm going to choose to work only six days. Now, let's be honest, most of you only work five. But it's not because of the reality of God. It's because we have a five-day work week in most of our settings. That's for our own convenience. That's not for God. When I consciously set aside a day, when this is my day for rest and worship, to refocus my mind, it reminds my heart, I can't do this myself, but God can. What about, I, I can't get all my work done. Now, growing up as a farmer, oh, <laughs> that's a constant thing. Some of you are self-employed, you know, I need eight days. I don't need, I don't need seven, I need eight days. But when I set it aside to say, Lord, I'm not going to get it all done. I'm going to trust you for my daily bread. And I'm going to be grateful for it. I'm going to work my tail off in the six days that are for work. Because we all take off for something, right? Sleep, going to the bathroom, 
you know, all those things. I'm going to take off for you. I'm going to take off to serve you, to worship you, just simply to recognize that I can't provide for myself. I can't get everything done. That's the purpose of the Sabbath. That's the purpose of the tithe. To bring us back to this idea of give us this day our daily bread. <coughs> Just that. Pray <clears throat> with, a humble with a grateful dependence and check your trust. Let's turn back to that passage I mentioned in Matthew 6. Not very far, just a couple of, a couple of books in front of it. It's interesting that in Matthew, as we have this recorded for us, Jesus teaches them to pray, gives this model prayer, and then right after that goes into this whole idea of what matters, of trusting Him, how not to worry. Let's start with verse 5 of Matthew 6, and we'll read through this prayer past it into this concept of, of worrying. I'm going to take a drink from my super cool podcast mug. Our Lord says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. It's not that there's anything wrong with praying in public. It's when you're praying in public so that you can be seen by others. So other people will think you're holy. That's when it becomes a problem. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door. Pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Sometimes we do that, don't we? We get wordy in our prayers. As if saying more words or more holy-sounding, Christian-y kind of words is going to make the prayer better and God's going to hear us. Don't be like them, he says in verse 8. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's going to be important in a little bit. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head. That means use your product. Okay, take care of yourself. Wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Don't store up, treasure, store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jump ahead to verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body 
what you will wear. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now listen, we're talking about relationship, not ritual. Notice what he says. Are you not much more valuable than they? Besides, he adds in verse 27, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus has such a great sense of humor. Pray with grateful dependence. Check your trust. He goes on in Luke 11, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 4, to say, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. It, it's very appropriate that we should pray seeking forgiveness, to seek God's mercy. Lord, forgive us our sins. But he tags in that same thought as one piece, we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Seeking mercy and also giving mercy as those who have received it and understand what it means. Note this. Pray with humble repentance. Check your response. Pray with humble repentance. Check your response. Why check your response? Because that's how you know whether you are repentant. It's not a matter of just saying, I'm sorry. That's part of it. It's a small part of it. I have to have the emotion to go along with it. There's a contrition that goes. But it's more than that. It's a change in thinking that leads to a change in direction. Lord, forgive. Show mercy. But if I've really changed the way I think, as one who has received mercy, I can't go chase down other people. How dare you? You have offended me. You have sinned against me. Jesus tells the parable of the man who was forgiven an unpayable debt by the king, shown an unspeakable mercy, and then chases down a brother for a small amount and starts choking him out. Give me what you owe me. That man has no concept of mercy. And therefore the king threw him in prison. If we expect God to show us mercy, we need to forgive even as we have been forgiven in the same manner. Forgive like Christ. Ephesians 32 is a, a good model for it. I, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4.32. Sometimes my mouth speaks and my mind hasn't caught up yet. 
Paul writes, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. God forgave you in Christ at great expense to himself when you weren't even sorry yet. How many of you were born when Jesus died on the cross? That by itself is enough to tell you the truth about it. He died for you, not only while you were yet sinner, but before you were even born. Every sin you've ever committed came after Christ died for you. Forgive one another. You don't deserve it. Of course you don't. That's what makes it forgiveness. In the same way that God in Christ forgives us. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 says, If my people who are called by my name, who humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. If you ever wonder why God hasn't answered your prayer, maybe it's because your fellowship is out of line, because you have unrepented sin. Things that you're still hanging on to. Yeah, you've talked about it. Maybe you've made promises to God, but you haven't changed your way of thinking. How can you continue to disobey God? Say, Daddy, I'm not going to do what you say, but I want you to give me stuff. You think you'd get away with that with your human parents? Parents, would your children get away with that with you? I'm not doing my homework. Give me ice cream. But we do that with God. God, save my marriage. God, help my finances. God, why is my life so bad? But I don't want to read your word. I don't want to know what you said. And I sure don't want to obey it. <coughs> Guys, if we are going to take prayer seriously, it's not about the words that we say. It's about a response that shows true repentance. Pray with humble repentance. Measure that by checking your response. Mark this. Pray with eternal perspective. Check your priorities. Pray with eternal perspective. Check your priorities. Jesus says, pray, lead us not into temptation. This is a prayer for deliverance, a prayer specifically for holiness. Lord, I don't want to sin against you anymore. You, I've asked for your forgiveness. I'm going to continue to commit myself to forgiving others when they don't deserve it because I don't deserve it, and I recognize that in myself. So because of this, Lord, I don't want to sin anymore. Please deliver me from the evil one. Take, take me away from the, from the temptation. I know that there are things out here that are going to trip me up. Father, give me the wisdom to run away from that. None of us faces any temptation except as is common to man. And in each of these situations, he gives us a way out. Our prayers reflect our priorities. We pray about what we care about. Pray with eternal perspective. Check your priorities. Do your prayers reflect the priorities of the flesh or the priorities of the spirit? Do you mainly pray for things related to this temporary life? Give me this, heal this. 
Scripture tells us that what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We just read in Matthew 19, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy. Store up treasures in heaven where these things can't happen. It can't be taken from you. Paul writes to the, to the Colossian church in Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Prioritize things that matter. That which is most valuable is that which is longest lasting. Stop setting your hearts on temporary things. Set your mind, your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. This next point by typo is not included in your program. That's a failure on my part to cut and paste. So you're going to want to write this in. Pray with accurate understanding. Check your theology. Pray with accurate understanding. Check your theology. Now listen, don't ever let anyone tell you that theology doesn't matter. I used to believe that. There was a time when I was younger, I'm like, pastors don't need to go to seminary. I don't need to study theology. I've got the Bible. And that's good. And that's true. The problem is, there are a whole lot of people who use the Bible wrongly. We need to rightly understand God. That's actually all theology is. It's nothing more and nothing less than understanding who God is. Pray with accurate understanding. Check your theology. Many of our prayer misconceptions come from not really rightly understanding God. God answers prayers because He wants to, not because He has to. When we get tripped up on formulaic type things, then we begin to think the same way the devil has tricked the world in tribal religions into looking at this God where if I appease him through some sacrifice, if I throw the virgin into the volcano, that will protect us. If we pray to the sun God, then we'll have a good harvest. And we begin to look at God in the same way. We treat him like a vending machine, like a rabbit's foot. Those types of things come from having a flawed understanding of who He is. If I want to have proper, powerful prayer, then I need to have a right understanding of who God is and how He relates to His people. Pray with accurate understanding. Check your theology. As we said at the beginning, prayer rests on relationship, not ritual. Jesus helps to clarify this with the, the contrast of the neighbor and the father. It's very similar to what we'll see later on in the series when we get to Luke 18. And Jesus talks about this unrighteous judge. And the woman uh, seeking mercy comes to him and begs and begs and begs. And is not inclined to the, but you know, you keep pestering me and fine, I'll go ahead. As we said before, James and James chapter 4 says you don't have because you don't ask. James 4.2, you don't have because you don't ask. 4.3, you don't have because you ask with wrong motives when you ask. But here he says, even this bad neighbor, okay, even this neighbor who doesn't want to help you out, 
Yeah, your friends. You're going to them because that's somebody that you trust, you count on. And in, in Eastern society, then as now, not taking care of a traveler coming through, that, that's super taboo, right? That's a huge social embarrassment to not be able to take care of this person who's come to you on a journey. So you go to this neighbor that you trust, and they say, no, uh, that's inconvenient for me. Uh, call me in the morning. I'm going to chill right now. Right? I got my... Binge watching uh, the new Netflix series, so I, I can't get out, I can't get to the bread, right? That is not going to work. I got to get this bread. I got the neighbor coming, or I got the, the, the friend coming, I got to do this. So the neighbor gives into this and does so reluctantly, but in response to the boldness and persistence, as we read in the NIV, it's shameless audacity. If you have a King James or you remember the King James, it says importunity. It's always fun. The English Standard Version says impudence. Persistence in the New American Standard Version. The New, New American Standard Bible. He responds because we keep banging the door, begging for help, bugging him till he gives it to us. But God's not like that. That's the contrast. Even your knuckle-headed neighbor is going to take care of your bugger long enough. You've got to be bold. You've got to ask for it. But God's not like your knuckle-headed neighbor. The father gives willingly, longing to give the best things to his children. Isaiah 65, 24 says, Before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. He knows before we ask. And yet he wants us to ask, ask, seek, knock. The tenses of those verbs in the Greek are to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. But this isn't about banging, begging, and bugging. It's about praying continually. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says pray continually. In other translations it says pray without ceasing. That's what this is about. We're called to a continual look Continually looking to our Father for all of our needs. In continual intimacy. Very much like the remaining or abiding that Jesus calls us to in John 15. When he says, remain in me or abide in me. That's what he's talking about. A continual intimacy. Continually seeking the face of the Father. More than trying to change God's mind, our continual prayer changes our own disposition until we can truly say, thy will be done. He will release the Holy Spirit's power into our lives when we seek Him. This is the best gift there is. It's particularly powerful as He says it to them in, in this passage. It's still Old Covenant here. Jesus hasn't died and risen again. And so in the Old Testament, only special people at special times received the gift of the Holy Spirit and only temporarily. Understand, God wants to pour out His blessings on His children. More importantly, He wants to pour out Himself onto us and into us. He wants to reveal Himself to us in the realest of ways. He wants to show us the glory that the world can never know because it's only found in intimacy with the Father. In Jeremiah 33, 3, God says to rebellious Israel, Call to me and I will answer you tell you great and unsearchable things you don't know. I learned it in the King James. Show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. 
The world can't know this because it's only through knowing God. And we only know Him. The only way to have a relationship with the Father is through Christ. That's why relationship is everything. I must come to Him as His child. And I must continually work at learning to know Him better. That's why we study God's Word. That's not something to check off our list. It's because we hunger to know Him. I want to know Him the best I can possibly ever know Him. And until I can see him face to face, I want to take this love letter that he's written to me and I want to milk it for all it's worth. I want to know everything I can know about God and how he interacts with his people. What makes me who I am? What makes God who he is? How do those two things fit together? And how do I walk through this sinful world? That's what theology does for us. To be able to rightly understand God, not according to some system that humans made up, but according to what God reveals in His Word, biblical theology. Why does any of this matter? Well, the urge to pray is deep within us. It's universal. Even folks who don't believe in God sense that urge in a variety of ways. It's the innate effect of being made in the image of God. And he has set eternity in our hearts, according to Ecclesiastes. Something so very basic to our existence must be rightly understood. If prayer involves communication with the king of all things, we'd better get it right. So what difference does it make in my daily walk, how I live day to day? We're going to talk about prayer, and, and this, is, this is Jesus given a 101 level course, right? This is the basics of prayer to understand this. He talks much more about it. There are a lot of details as we go through the Gospels, and we'll see more throughout the book of Luke. But this is your basic, your 101 course. How does this affect how I'm going to live? Perhaps a familiar song written in 1855 by a man named Joseph Scriven can be of help here. I have to tell you, I'm Super glad my name's not Joseph Scriven. Inappropriate? Did I go too far? Okay. You may recognize it. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak, heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Blessed Savior, thou hast promised, thou wilt all our burdens bear. May we ever, Lord, be bringing all to thee in earnest prayer. Soon in glory bright, unclouded, there will be no need for prayer. Rapture, praise, and endless worship will be our sweet portion there. The Lord wants to carry your burdens. 
He wants you to trust Him with your needs, with the intimacy, dependence, and trust a child has for its father. For this, you need to receive His offer to become His child through the finished work of Christ. Then as His child, you need to give it all to Him. Stop holding back. He is faithful, and His faithfulness is great from beginning to end. Philippians 4, 6 is our memory verse for this week. It's printed for you in your program. I want to encourage you to commit it to heart. And it calls us to this very thing. In that verse, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Verse 7 explains the result of doing that. The peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let me read those two verses together for you. Because it's an, it's an A plus B equals C thing. If I do this, then I get that. It's a conditional. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Understand, folks, as we wrap this up, if, if we want the peace of verse 7, we have to choose the actions of verse 6. In this very practical sense, my choices truly determine my destiny. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you alone can answer our prayers, provide for our needs, be the solace we seek. You alone can give us the peace that goes beyond our human understanding, our ability to comprehend the situation, or, or even understand why we aren't freaked out. Lord, you are the key. The power isn't in the prayer, and it's not in us as the prayer. It's just in you. So, Lord, I pray that everyone who is here hearing my voice today, if they don't already know you as Father, by trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, that you would move in their hearts right now that you would quicken their spirit and make them alive that they might turn to you. Father, for those of us who have already changed our mind and direction and don't want to be part of this world anymore but want to be part of your kingdom, I pray that these words that Jesus taught us about prayer would be so much more than some incantation we say over and over again but would enrich and embolden our understanding of what it means to take it to the Lord in prayer that we would know you as you are as a good good father that we would recognize that in Christ we have become the children of God seek you continually, knowing that your faithfulness is great. These things we pray for your glory. In the name of your Son, Jesus.